KPBS On Demand is supported by Under the Sun Foundation, presenting the Candlewood Arts Festival in Borrego Springs, featuring temporary public art projects that engage community and place. March 23rd. More at candlewoodartsfestival.org. Good morning. I'm Debbie Cruz. It's Tuesday, February 28th. The state and county's COVID emergency orders end today. More on that next. But first, let's do the headlines. The Supreme Court is hearing arguments today over President Biden's student debt relief plan. It would cancel $10,000 in federal student loan debt for those who meet the income requirements. It was put on hold after it was challenged by six Republican states and two students. A lower court dismissed the lawsuit involving the six states, but the program was put on hold during an appeal. Now the Supreme Court is weighing in. It could take months after today's hearing before a decision is made. Nearly a month after his arrest, a San Diego County Sheriff's deputy was arraigned yesterday on charges of bringing cocaine to jail. 48-year-old Alan Wareski pleaded not guilty in front of a courthouse audience that included advocates who want county jail staff to be scanned for drugs when they show up for work. They say a lack of screening is contributing to overdoses and deaths in the county's jails. Wareski has been suspended without pay. If he's convicted, he could face four years in prison. SDG&E announced that an additional $16 million is available in relief to help ratepayers who are behind on their bills. According to the utility company, $6 million of the funding goes to doubling the amount of assistance available to each qualifying customer. That's through the company's neighbor-to-neighbor program that is for residents who are not eligible for other state and federal assistance. $10 million of the money will go to local nonprofit organizations that provide essential services to vulnerable customers. From KPBS, you're listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of the local news you need. You've been thinking about helping KPBS with a donation. Why not donate that extra car you no longer need? Pickup is free, and you're supporting KPBS Public Media. Here's how. Visit kpbs.careasy.org. The state and county's COVID emergency orders are ending today after being in effect for the last three years. Health reporter Matt Hoffman has a look at what's next. It's been more than three years since San Diego County officials declared a state of emergency for COVID-19. It was announced in mid-February of 2020 out of an abundance of caution. Soon after, the governor's stay-at-home order was issued along with California's state of emergency. That resulted in 74 executive orders and nearly 600 additional provisions that state officials say helped save thousands of lives. There are a lot of regulations that were suspended uh, as a result of the pandemic to allow us to move faster. Scripps Health CEO Chris Van Gorder says hospitals have been able to keep up with demand thanks to those orders. They allowed for higher patient-to-staff ratios and the ability to quickly add extra bed space. We could have had a real uh, healthcare catastrophe had the you know government agencies not worked hand-in-hand with, uh, with the healthcare providers. Last week on Thursday, Scripps had 80 COVID patients admitted across the county. That's far from daily counts of more than 300 during surges. Van Gorder says it's time to end the state and local emergencies. 
that fear and, you know, verge of panic that we saw three years ago uh, is, is really gone. Our, our, our physicians, our nurses know how to take care of these patients. California's Department of Public Health says of the nearly 600 provisions issued, just 27 are in place until March. Masking is still required in healthcare settings and long-term care facilities. State health officials say those orders are not tied to the pandemic emergency ending, and Van Gorder is waiting for more details. He's also looking to see if state officials will continue their vaccination requirement for healthcare workers. There's probably a lot of people, including uh, hospital employees, that are, are curious about that, and we'll wait and see what the state the state may decide to waive that when they waive you know, the health care emergency, or they may extend it. The state and county have been winding down their pandemic responses. Long gone are the mass drive-up vaccination and testing sites. San Diego County Public Health Officer Dr. Wilma Wooten has been leading the region's pandemic response. We still have to do the same things that we've been doing for the last three years, uh, now at a smaller scale, but who knows how the situation could change where well, we need to ramp up again. Wooten says plans are in place should they need to scale up again, but she says the pandemic is manageable. The cases are not as low as I would like to see them. They are between uh, mid to 200s. So that is evidence that the virus is still circulating in the community and we can't uh, rest on our laurels and oh, we're through this, the pandemic is not over. The county is continuing to monitor COVID through San Diegans' wastewater, and recently the amount of virus has been going up. Things are overall pretty darn good in San Diego County. The, the only issue that doesn't go in the right direction is the wastewater surveillance shows some uptick, but hospitalizations are way down. Dr. Eric Topol from the Scripps Research Translational Institute isn't forecasting any substantive changes with the state and local pandemic emergencies going away. The virus has been producing new variants, but while things are relatively quiet, he would like to see investments in better vaccines. We're not prepared, and we could be working on this, but uh, we're not getting serious enough. Topol and other health officials say COVID certainly isn't going away and could look similar to the flu with vaccinations recommended every year. Topol says if we continue to have minor COVID waves, the virus could be considered endemic, but that's too early to say for sure. It all depends on whether this virus can find a new path to get to hosts and hurt us, whether it's run its course. The federal COVID emergency is set to end in early May. For all Californians, vaccines, testing, and treatments will still be available with no out-of-pocket costs for an additional six months. Matt Hoffman, KPBS News. Another storm is predicted to hit the county tomorrow. Over the weekend, we got several inches of rain and more than two feet of snow. SciTech reporter Thomas Fudge says storms like these across the state could make this rainy season a drought buster. California has experienced drought conditions over the past two to three years. But meteorologist Alex Tardy with the National Weather Service says this rainy season could bring precipitation levels and water supply back to normal. We need about two times the snowpack and also about 150% of the rain. Not San Diego, but central northern California, and we are on pace to seeing that. 
But if California is rebounding, another area that provides water to Southern California, the Colorado River Basin, still has a long ways to go. Now, the Colorado is doing well with snowpack. It's, it's above average, but they have a decade to make up. Tardy says that means even in the best conditions, we won't be able to stop saying drought after this winter is done. Thomas Fudge, KPBS News. Developers can get financial incentives to build low-income housing. But right now, there's nothing like that for building moderate-income homes. Reporter Kitty Alvarado tells us about a new bill to change that. There's no question one of the biggest issues facing San Diego County and the state is housing. With that in mind, Assemblyman David Alvarez introduced legislation to build more middle-income housing, AB 1287. Housing affordability is a big challenge facing a lot of people. It's not just poor people who have a hard time making rent now. It's also middle-class people, working people, are having also big challenges. That's Colin Parent with Circulate San Diego. He says his nonprofit came up with the idea to expand on existing density law and then pitched it to the assembly member. This program can only be used if a project maxes out their production of affordable units, and we're really trying to ensure that this is a, a real win-win. The bill may get its first committee hearing next month. Kitty Alvarado, KPBS News. Coming up, we fill you in on what's being done to stop sewage from Tijuana. We'll have that story and more next, just after the break. This is Parker Edison, host of the Parker Edison Project on KPBS. The cool thing about joining KPBS is you make one simple donation, and that money ripples into supporting everything else you see and hear on KPBS, including podcasts like this one you're listening to right now, making a place for fresh voices and perspectives to be heard. And that's music to my ears. Become a member today. Just go to kpbs.org, click that blue Give Now button, and donate what you can, all right? Thanks. Sewage spills originating in Tijuana have forced the closure of beaches in Imperial Beach and south toward the border for most of this winter. It's been a frustrating part of life for many South County residents for years. A recent settlement has been made between a federal agency and the cities of Imperial Beach, Chula Vista, and the San Diego Port Authority to prevent Tijuana sewage from reaching the ocean in the future. Paloma Aguirre is the mayor of Imperial Beach. She spoke with my colleague, Jade Heinemann. I mean, let's talk about this this legal settlement with the International Boundary and Water Commission, or IBWC. Uh, remind us why Imperial Beach was suing the IBWC in the first place. Well, because for decades, all of this transboundary pollution impacting us in the entire region 
comes through IBWC uh, jurisdictional property. So for many years, we would um, address this issue with IBWC and they would say, well, we don't have jurisdiction. This is an international issue. This is uh, a matter of a different country. So uh, over the years, you know, we kept advocating for solutions and we weren't finding any. So, you know, thankfully we came together, the city of Imperial Beach, the city of Chula Vista, the port of San Diego and said, well, you know, at the end of the day, you as a federal entity have the um, responsibility to enact the Clean Water Act and the Resources and Recovery Act. So they weren't playing game and, you know, we had to bring them to litigation. Can you go over the details of what the parties agreed to do in this settlement? I mean, they aren't really meant to prevent the sewage leak from happening in the first place, just uh, more mitigation measures, right? Exactly, exactly. So um, the litigation itself is not like the single solution to it all. However, the terms of the litigation, there's some simple solutions that IBWC is able to take action on. For example, there's a sediment berm that can be in place just you know, by moving some earth with some bulldozers that stop some of these lower level flows of the Tijuana River. Whenever there's not a pump station turned on that is collecting flow from the river and redirecting it south from us, whenever that pump station ceases to operate, it causes us um, beach closures. So whenever that pump station fails, Something that IBWC can simply do is is put a, a dirt berm, basically, and prevent those flows from coming across. That's a simple solution that I would say five, six years ago, somebody came up with, and um, but there was no policy in place for them to enact that on a consistent basis. So now, through our litigation, that's something that the IBWC has committed to doing. Another one was uh, alert everyone about, you know, any, um, you know, infrastructure that was failing or any which spills happening in the past, IBWC would simply, you know, have a listserv of folks to send an email to, or sometimes even via fax. Uh, so many of us don't even use fax anymore. So we wouldn't get the notification of sewage spills. So now, you know, they, they've committed to using uh, technology that's a little bit more up to date, for example, via Twitter or, or other social media um, platforms to inform the public that that sewage spill is happening. So these are little but very significant fixes that they have committed to doing because of our litigation. And what are your thoughts now that this lawsuit has finally been settled? My thoughts are, it, it's good that we arrived here. Uh, I feel um, in, in a way uh, vindicated because we underwent a lot of criticism in the beginning. A lot of people thought, well, this isn't going to fix anything. This is going to lead to anything major. And I would say that it did. Am I still frustrated at the entirety of the situation? Yeah, absolutely. My my community is suffering. And and, and we're very much tired of having this ongoing crisis happening every single day, impacting our lives, our quality of life, our environment, our public health, you know, but we're making progress. And I know that we've also been uh, criticized because of that, right? But at the end of the day, as someone who's been working on this issue pretty much my entire adult life, from where we were 20 years ago to where we are now, I see that light at the end of the tunnel. And that's what's the most important thing for us. That was Paloma Aguirre speaking with KPBS's Jade Hyman.
A dispute between neighbors has led to a new regulation for backyard skateboarding ramps in Vista. North County reporter Alexander Wynn talks to neighbors involved and why they say it was needed. Ivandro Meneses has had a skateboard ramp in his backyard for more than 10 years. He says he's never had a problem until now. We always try to accommodate the time used to skate to not interrupt them to do any things in their yards or, you know, noise-wise. For some reason, in the last three, four months, it just, it just flipped. I don't know what happened. His ramp is roughly 12 feet tall. Neighbors like Tom Payne says Manessas has hosted private events that bring in traffic, parking issues, and noise to their quiet neighborhood. The noises that were being generated between their amplified sound system and all the skaters going and making all this horrible noise. Very loud. The Vista City Council recently approved an ordinance requiring residents who want to build ramps that are more than six feet tall to apply for a minor use permit. That permit will cost nearly $3,400 and will also specify the times the ramps could be used. Alexander Wynn, KPPS News. That's it for the podcast today. As always, you can find more San Diego news online at kpbs.org. I'm Debbie Cruz. Thanks for listening and have a great Tuesday. <music>